0: Amen. If you would take your Bible then and turn to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, and this morning we're going to pick up in verse 13, and we're going to read to the end of the chapter. 1 John 4, verse 13. Hereby know we that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect. That we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. A man say, I love God, and hateth his brother, he is a liar. For he that loveth not his brother, whom he hath seen, how can he love God, whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him that he who loveth God love his brother also. The title of the message this morning is The Spirit of God Bears Witness in Our Lives. The Spirit of God Bears Witness in Our Lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that we receive and how it speaks to our hearts and challenges us and strengthens us. Father, we pray as you look on the Word of God today that we allow the Spirit of God that dwells in us who are saved, that is the author of this book. I pray that you would help, help uh, may we allow Him to have His will and His way to search our hearts this morning, and uh, that we might be yielded and surrendered to You, and uh, Thy truth may be revealed to us through Your Word. And uh, Father, that our hearts to be open and receptive to thy word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hereby we know. Here's how we know. Hereby we know. Romans 8:16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. Hereby we know, because He hath given us of His Spirit. You know, the word bears or beareth means it supports. Romans eight sixteen. The word witness is to know by personal presence, to testify or afford evidence. You know, the evidence that we are the children of God is not based on a list of do's and don'ts that we do or don't do. You know, the evidence is a surrender of the will to the Spirit of God who convicts us of sin before God and truth concerning the person of Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus said in John 7, 17, If any man will do his will, that is, he has a, or willeth to do, or has a desire to do the will of God, he shall know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. You know, if you have a desire, a will to do, of course, it's God that gives that will to do. You know, does the Spirit of God, of the living God, dwell in your heart? Is He bearing witness by the by the love which is of God, and the truth of God's Word, working in your inner man, your heart, your will, which will work out in your life by His power? John 16, verse 13 says, Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. You know, if the Spirit is bearing witness in your life, you should be growing or increasing in the truth. In other words, you should be becoming more Christ-like. Allowing God to search more of your heart, to reveal more of your sinful nature. To yourself and to him. You see, it boils down to who do we let influence us? Who who are we allowing to influence us? Is it the world or is it the spirit of God? So as we consider this morning, the Spirit of God bears witness, how the Spirit of God bears witness of our life. I want to notice several things from this, directly from this passage of Scripture. First of all, the Spirit makes us see. Now, He makes us see the Son. If you notice in verse 14, it says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. We have seen. Now, the word seen doesn't have the idea of vision with the eye. It's not what's referring to. It means to consider thoroughly. To think fully or deeply about. To study thoughtfully. Have you ever really studied thoughtfully who the person of Jesus Christ is? Who he is? You have you since you were saved really given time and study into the person of Christ that he was a man. And as a man, he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. That he is the Son of God with power, resurrection power. And as our Savior and Lord, he's able to give us power over sin if we would yield ourselves to him. That's key, if we would yield ourselves to him. See, this is seeing... This is seeing, the seeing here, not the vision issue, eye issue. It is a heart hearing issue. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know, having that they had eyes, but they did not see. They had ears, but they did not hear. Again, he wasn't talking about this, this problem. He was talking about understanding or comprehending in the heart. It's a hard issue. Many fail to understand and realize in their lives the power that is of God and thereby fail to make Him preeminent because they fail to see or understand who He is and what He can do in your life. Therefore, they will not trust Him because they don't think He's capable of what He says. We heard in Sunday school class this morning, Ezra believed God was capable of what He said. Therefore, he was ashamed to ask of the king, soldiers for the way, because he had declared, he had testified to the king, that our God is able to protect us. You see, what did Ezra see? Ezra saw that God was the God of power and of might. And he could protect us, if he willed. See, many times we fail to trust God because we don't see Him. We don't see Him. We haven't studied Him. It's because we haven't studied Him. Thoughtfully. See, the Spirit of God leads us to see Him for who He is. Is the Spirit of God leading you to study Jesus Christ? To understand who He is? To acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. Somebody said this, quote, To acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God is not simply to make a statement about his metaphysical status, but to express obedient trust in one who possesses such a status. Unquote. And we see an example of the contrast of this in in John chapter 9. Turn over to John chapter 9 for just a minute. I was reading through this this week, and this, this stood out to me. I never really thought about it this way before. In John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath day. Which as far as the religious crowd and the Pharisees, you know, that was a no-no. You don't do anything on the Sabbath day. You don't heal a man on the Sabbath day. You can pull your ox out of the ditch on the Sabbath day, and you can pull your sheep out of a well on the Sabbath day, but you can't heal a man on the Sabbath day. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? But anyway, he healed this man. And in verse 16, it says... Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been, born blind, been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him, he shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents, because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed already, so they had already made a decision. They weren't looking for the facts, they had already made a decision. That if any man to confess that he was the Christ, he should put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise, for we know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, and notice this, I have told you already, and ye, and ye did not hear. Now think about that. He said, I've told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore, would you hear it Again? Will ye be also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, "Thou art his disciple; we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses. As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is." The man answered and said unto them, "Why, hearing is a marvellous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshipper of God and doeth His will." him he hear. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, dost thou teach us and to cast him out. So here you have an example of those who would not see because they would not hear. They would not hear. see, the Spirit of God makes us see. He guides us into all truth. He makes us see the person of Jesus Christ for who He is. To consider thoroughly or to think fully about. To study thoughtfully. You know, the Spirit of God teaches us of the person of Christ. He's not just a man. He's the Lord. He's the Son of God. The second thing we see here is the Spirit testifies through us of the Savior. Notice in verse 14, 1 John 4, verse 14, says, And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, the word testify means to give testimony to, to and to prove or confirm that testimony, or your testimony by the way you live. Your, your life is a testimony. Your whole life. Not just what you say, but your whole life is a testimony that you either believe or do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in John 4, 39, it says, And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of a woman which testified." He told me all that ever I did. Now, some of those things that she did were not good. But you know what? She admitted it. She didn't hide it. She wasn't, she wasn't though she was probably embarrassed to admit it, but she wasn't too proud to say, I was a great sinner. Yeah, you know, we're all great sinners. And she testified. She testified that he was the Savior, he was the Christ, the Savior of the world. Acts 26.4, uh, Paul said of concerning the uh, um, Jews, My manner of life from my youth, which at the first, my own nation of Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew from the beginning if they would testify. In other words, they could give testimony that I was a Jew of Jews, a Pharisee of Pharisees. And see, we are, the Spirit of God testifies through us of the Savior. He says here, uh, and we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, you are a testimony to the fact that Jesus Christ was sent into the world by the Father to redeem us from our sins. Acts 1 8 says, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You know how did the test the disciples testify of the Lord Jesus? Well, go to Acts chapter 2 and we'll see it. Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Excuse me. Acts chapter 2, verse 32 says, and here's Peter testifying as to the person of Christ, this Jesus, so, you know, all the Jews believed in Jesus as a man Again, you'll find it in, I think it's in John uh, 8. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, and his brethren and sisters? And so they all believed in Jesus, like a lot of people do today. The man, Jesus. That's who they believed in. They refused to see or believe that he was the son of God. That's, the, that's where the problem is. That's where most people have a problem today. So they believe in Jesus. And so this Jesus, okay, this Jesus you knew about and you believed in and you you were aware of and acquainted with, hath God raised up, whereof we all are witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, The Lord said unto my Lord. Now that was a question that Jesus asked him, you know, if, 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 if David called him his son, how could he be his Lord? And they refused to answer. He asked the Pharisees that. If if you know how can he be his son if he called him his Lord? He was looking for them to admit that he was the Lord. Or trying to prove to them from the scriptures that he was the Lord. That even David said he was the Lord. But they wouldn't admit it. But here Peter is now testifying, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool, therefore that all the house of Israel will know surely that God hath made that same Jesus, that man Jesus, whom ye crucified both Lord and Christ. So here the spirit of God, you know the spirit of God is is fully come now and and, and they've been baptized with the Holy Ghost. They've been filled with the Spirit. That's really all that means. And they stand up and they testify, Peter testifies, as all the disciples did, that Jesus, the man Jesus, is both Lord and the Christ, the anointed of God. The chosen one of God. Chapter 3, verse 12 through 15. When Peter saw it, he answered unto the people, Ye men of Israel, why marvel ye at this? Or why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power, or holiness, we have made this man to walk? The God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, God of your fathers, of our fathers, hath glorified his son Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go, denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murder to be granted unto you, and killed the prince of life." What again, what she saying is, this is the one who has power to give life. This is the Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who made all things, in whom we live and move and have our being, and the one who gives us eternal life. This is that Jesus. Chapter 4, verse 19 and 20. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak and speak the things which we have seen and heard. Go to First Thessalonians chapter one. And we need to see an example of one of the early churches of how they testified, of what it means to testify. First Thessalonians one <coughs> excuse me, verse five. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and the Holy Ghost and much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sakes. You became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. You know, when, the, when this church was started and established, there was a riot, an uprising in the church in the city, and Paul and si, uh, Silas, I believe it was at that time, might have been Barnabas, I can't remember who it was, but they were driven out and they fled to Berea. So there was, a, there was a lot of turmoil during this time, yet there's a church established. And he says, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. Those are regions round about. Thessalonica. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad. So we need not to speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for a son from heaven whom we raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So these people... You know, they testified. The Spirit of God working in their lives caused them to testify of the person of Christ to to everyone around them. Their testimony was known. You know, has the world in which you work heard and seen evidence of the Lord Jesus Christ from you? And by the way you lived and conduct yourself? By your words? your speech by your attitude by your honesty are you honest in your work I remember my sister-in-law worked at a Mead corporation for a few years in Alexandria Pennsylvania and she said people would check out break time about five or ten minutes before break time was supposed to begin and come back in after break time was over. When I say after, I mean five or ten minutes late. She said, I did it by the clock. You know what they're really doing? Stealing company time. By your faithfulness to the Lord's church? Does the world know that? Does it have priority? But, you know The Lord loves this church. It's his, it's his body. Well, I've got other things. Okay, tell your friends. If you have children, you skip church because you've got other, prior, other things that are more important. And then explain to them the importance of the church. See, those around Thessalonica, Thessalonica knew that they loved the Lord. And they testified. They heard it. They saw it lived out. Their love for the Lord was their priority. Spurgeon said this, quote, I can't imagine a true man saying, I love Christ, but don't want others to know that I love him, lest they should laugh at me. That is a reason to be laughed at, or rather to be wept over. Afraid of being laughed at? Oh, sir, this is indeed a cowardly fear. Unquote. Your Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe. See, the Spirit of God leads us to testify... That the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Again, does the world in which you work and live see and hear it from you? They're only going to hear it from us. Jesus left us as his ambassadors to testify of him to the world. Paul told the church at Corinth, you, you, you are a living epistle known and read of all men. I mean, the whole world knows what went on at Corinth. They knew about the fornication. They also learned that the church finally did the right thing. Pretty much. They also knew the man repented because it's all written for us. They knew about their divisions. You know what they knew? They knew they were real people that had struggles. Yet, they served God. God was priority. You know the world needs to know that. Oh, we're not perfect people. They already know that. In case you didn't have don't don't understand that, they already know that. But they need to know that we do have a priority and that we will testify of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that God sent the Son in the world to be the Savior, to be their Savior. Third thing we see here, the Spirit leads us to confess Christ as our God. Notice verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he and God. Now the word confess means basically to say the same thing, to agree with. And in this case, to do so openly. That's the context here is to do so openly. So the Be- the spirit of God convinces us that Jesus is the son of God or that he is God. You know, if He is the Son of God, if He is God, He is the Creator. And that's what the Bible declares. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Verse 14 says, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. See, Jesus is God and He made the world. It also means that he's God. He did rise from the dead bodily. Romans one four says, and declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, uh, uh, according to the Spirit of holiness. You know that that holy one saw no corruption. He did not lie in a grave and decompose like our loved ones do. That. When we, when we die, when they put you and I in if 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 the Lord doesn't come, and they put you and I in a grave, we're gonna, our body's gonna decompose. We're gonna return to the dust from which it was made. One day it'll be resurrected and changed. Jesus' body, he was the Son of God, did not decompose. The Holy One saw no corruption. Now, he was declared to be the Son of God with power by the resurrection of the dead. He is the firstborn of every creature, Colossians 1.15, which means he is higher than all principalities and all powers. He is the only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. See, the Spirit of God leads us to confess to others that Jesus is the Son of God and to declare that. And, and he is, uh, therefore, he is to have preeminence in all things. Does he have preeminence in all things in your life? Wouldn't you like to have somebody that leading you that knows the end from the beginning? And who is good? Good in every way. You know, we, we, we talk about, sometimes we talk about, it, we say, well, you know, there's such a, he's such a good guy, or he's such, she's such a good good lady, you know. But you know, every human being has faults, weaknesses. It's part of human nature, because we're sinners by nature. We serve a God who's good, and he has no weaknesses. He has no strong points and no weaknesses. He's perfectly balanced. He has no faults. He he never does that which he never leads in the wrong way. He will never lead us into sinful, into that which is sinful or hurtful. And his, he delights in us. In other words, he wants what's best for us. He's, he's like a loving father and mother that wants the best for their child and will correct them because they want the best for that child. Will not allow them just to go on in error, knowing that error, that error is going to cause hurt later on. So, does he have preeminence in all your life? Your attitudes and actions when burdened, relationships with others. Do you give him honor when you're with your friends? You know, who's really preeminent in our life really comes out when we're around friends or family? Did you give them honor when you're alone? When nobody else is watching? In Luke 6:46, Jesus said, "Why well, call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say." You see, the Spirit of God, if the Spirit of God dwells within us, He's going to lead us to confess that Christ is God. He's the Lord. And He's the Lord of my life. Fourthly, the Spirit leads us to love others. This seems to come up over and over again in the book of First John. Verse 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in him, and God in him. So to dwell in God is to dwell in love because God is love. You know the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. The second is like unto it, to love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, the Bible goes on further and tells us we're to love even our enemies. By the way, that may be your neighbor. That may be your neighbor. When it says neighbor, he doesn't classify, you know, it doesn't classify, well, he can be your neighbor if it's your friend, and if he's your enemy, he's not your neighbor. No, neighbor is anyone you come in contact with, basically. According to the story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus gave, it's an illustration of who your neighbor is. You know, we are pretty good at being loving and kind in public, are we not? But what do you like at home around your friends? The place where you can be your real self. Do you show love husbands to your wife when you're at home alone? Words of and actions of kindness? Would you treat others the way you treat her? You know, the Bible says in Ephesians 5, 28, So men to love their wives as their own body, he that loveth his wife, loveth himself. Wives, would you talk to the Lord the way you talk to your husband? You know, the, the greatest way we show love is by communication. How, we, how do we communicate with those around us, how do we communicate with the world? Do we just condemn it, or do we try to understand and reason with them about the love of God for sinners? You know, Jesus. The, the, one of the things they accused Jesus of was he ate with publicans and sinners. This man eats with publicans and sinners, and they condemned him for it. Now, he never participated in their sin, but he did associate himself with them so that he could. Minister to them. You know, the world's going to do what the world's going to do. We're not here to judge the world. We're here to seek and to save the lost. That doesn't mean we go along with or say it's okay. When you're witnessing somebody and, and you're explaining what sin is, you ought to point out some things in their life that, that they need to repent of. And Jesus did that. He said to the woman, yeah, I know you, I know you don't have a husband. You, have five, you had five, and the one you have now is not your husband. You know, what he was doing, he was pointing out her sin. But he didn't say, yeah, you're just a wicked, wicked sinner, and you're going to go to hell because you got... No, he said, no, you, you're a sinner. And here's proof. You need to repent. You see, he valued them as fellow human beings and witnessed to them of their need of repentance. And so the Spirit leads us to love others. And fifthly, the Spirit leads us into perfect love. This always kind of puzzled me, but notice verses 17 and 18 says, Herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. Now the word perfect is used in these verses, two verses uh, verse 18 in particular, means brought to its end, finished, lacking nothing necessary to completeness. So we're not just talking about maturity, we're talking about a completeness. Uh, it's a stronger word. Uh, James 1 17 uses the word every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And we understand that everything God does, he does it to perfection. Now, we might look at things that you, you and I do, and we might look at it, well, that looks perfect. But, 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 you know, to a trained eye, they would probably find some blemishes in it. You know, I can walk into a house. <laughs> See, I can walk into this building and say the floor is not level. I can also walk into this building and say, there's more room on this side or this side than there is on this side of the aisle. That aisle's not in the center. See, I've been in the carpentry business long enough. I say things just like that. Little imperfections. And I walk into the house and I see all the crooked pictures hanging on the wall. They can just be out just a wee little bit. You know, I'm constantly we got this thing little plaque hanging by our door, and you know, but every week I walk in the door, I straighten it. Now, my wife would walk by and she'd think it was never crooked. See, it's not perfect. It's man's. But when we're talking about something that God does, it is perfect. You can't improve on it. That's the idea here. There's no veil, but there's no, no shadow of turning to him. James 1.25 talks about the perfect law of liberty. There's no blemishes in the law. It's perfect. And so this is the perfection we're talking about. Now, he says, here is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is in this world, so are we in this world. Now think with me a little about the way one comes to this love made perfect. In which... There is no fear. No fear. You know, Psalm 111, verse 10 says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding of all they that do His commandments, His praise endureth forever. Psalm Proverbs 1, 7 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Again, Proverbs 9:10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And knowledge of the Holy is understanding. Proverbs 14:27 says... The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. Okay. So it's the beginning fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's also it leads us to a fountain of life. Who's the fountain of life? Hebrews 11 says in verse 7 by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet moved with fear, prepared an ark. You see by the fear of God, his holy justice we begin to consider our state, our standing before him. See, the reason people do not come to salvation is they have no fear of God. Yeah. So like Pharaoh, who's the Lord that I should obey him? You know, it's kind of like saying, oh, who's he think he is? That he can tell me what to do. And the biggest problem, the reason we have this attitude so much today is because we've had parents that let their kids act like that. Because they were not under the command of their fathers. Proverbs 23, 13, 14 says, Withhold not correction from the child, for if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod, and shalt deliver his soul from hell. What you're doing is putting the fear of God, the fear of authority in his life. And if you don't, as parents, put the fear of God in their life, they're likely to never come to fear God and be born again. Because fathers do not correct their children, there's no fear of God. Romans 3 10 through 18 gives us these four Roman nuns. You know, there's none righteous, there's none that understandeth, there's none that seeketh God after God, and, and, uh, uh, and there's none that doeth good. And the paragraph concludes with this there is no fear of God before their eyes. Therefore, they do not seek to understand. See, for people to seek God, the greatest motivating factor is fear of judgment, divine retribution. And see, the philosophy of the world is now, oh, God's a God of love. He will not condemn anybody to hell. What they don't understand is God is a God of love, but God is also a God of holiness Righteousness and justice. A God of judgment. When they come to the place where they learn fear of authority, fear of God, they begin to seek rec- reconciliation and come to understand that God loves them. God loves them. And he demonstrated for, them, for us By sending His Son to die for our own sin. So that when they embrace the mercy and love of God, fear is cast out. Fear is cast out. And replaced by love. And that love comes by understanding what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us and our standing in Him as a result. See, when you understand that God died in your place, God loved you and died in your place so that you could be made righteous in Him. Is there any cause for you to fear death? See, when you, when you come to understand we have been made accepted in the Beloved, that death has no more dominion of us, that we have everlasting life, the life of Christ, we have the righteousness in Christ imputed to us, that is, this place on our account. You know, Romans 5, one says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans eight one says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. We've been accepted in and beloved. Therefore, we love Him and are not afraid of His coming. See, perfect love casts out the fear we had of the judgment of God. Therefore, we ought not serve Him out of fear, but out of love. You know, there's no greater motivating factor in life than love. It's greater than fear. If you fear somebody, you're going you're gonna to walk in, in trepidation, and you're going to do just what they ask, no more. Because if you're, if, you're, if you're afraid, they, you know, if you're fearful, you're afraid that you, know, you may be wrong no matter what you do, so you do just what you have to do, just what's expected and commanded of you, you do just that and no more. But if you love somebody, you know what you do? You go out of your way to do extra things for them because you, you know they love you. And they're not harsh and mean and judgmental and critical and hateful. Even if you do something out of a heart of love for them and they really didn't want it done. Maybe. Because they're loving. You'll do more. See, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God Cast out. Leads us into perfect love. A love that is at rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. No longer afraid. Look at Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Verse 14 says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil... And deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. If you're here without Jesus Christ, without the Spirit of God dwelling in you, the the, the fear of death ought to be foremost in your mind. Because if you die and leave this world without Jesus Christ, you're going to hell. But, Christ came to deliver them who through fear of death were all their life subject to bondage. For rarely he took unto him the nature of angels, but took on him the seed of Abraham. Wherefore, in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. He made reconciliation for our sins. He reconciled us to God. He was the atonement the one that puts us at one with God through his sacrifice for our sins therefore we can love him with perfect love and that perfect love casts out fear First John 3 verse 1 to 3 says what Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. So there's a desire there to please the Lord. Why? Because of his love that he's bestowed on us. Sturgeon said this, quote, Look through all the pages of history and put to the noblest men and women who seem to still live this question. Who loves Christ? And at once, up from the dark dungeons and cruel racks, there rises the confessor's cry, We love him. And from the fiery stake where they clapped their hands as they were being burned to death, the same answer comes, We love him. If you could walk to the miles of the catacombs at Rome, and if the holy dead where dust lies there could suddenly wake up, they would all shout, We love him. The best and bravest of men, the noblest and purest of women, have all been in this glorious company. So surely you are not ashamed to come forward and say, put my name down among them Unquote. You see if the spirit of god is bearing witness in your life you should be in growing or increasing in your likeness of christ he'll make you to see thoroughly to study thoughtfully the person of christ To testify of the Savior of the world, to lead you to confess Him as the Lord, the God, the Creator of heaven and earth, and to love others as yourself, and lead you into a perfect love that casts out fear. Is the Spirit bearing witness with your spirit? Are you becoming more Christ like? That's what he does. That's his work. There should be a glowing love that replaces the fear of death. You know, are you afraid of us coming? Are you tormented by fear? If you are, you need some instruction from the Bible about God's love and mercy. That he has extended toward you. This is the age of grace. His mercy is still being extended. Is the spirit of God working in your life? Is he bearing witness?